Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? They kicked that beat again like I'm supposed to. I'm, I'm, nobody wants to see that. That's terrible. It's great to see everybody. I hope you've come ready, and I hope that, uh, that you're going to celebrate a great Fourth of July weekend. Have you had a good Fourth of July weekend so far? That's good. I hope so. Uh, my family and I got to celebrate last night, and nothing says God bless America like watching your son and your mom light a firework called One Bad Granny. That... <laughs> was a great firework. It was awesome. So I'm so thankful that we got to do that last night. Pastor Chris is at the Tulsa campus this morning. He's preaching there today. So I hope you'll be praying for him. And, and as we get ready for this, if you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Amos. Amos, that may not be a book in the Bible that you've turned to very often. We just read it recently in our daily devotionals. Uh, if you're using the Bible app, you can just kind of click on the word Amos. That's so helpful to be able to find that. If you're using a paper copy of God's Word, it's really kind of to Psalms and then to the right. You just kind of turn to the right from Psalms. It's kind of towards the end of the Old Testament is where that is. You can also see our sermon notes online on the Uversion app. And if you're not sure where that is, you can use that QR code and that chair back in front of you uh, to find the, and just click on the sermon notes button and it'll take you right there. Those are there every Sunday and we'd love for you to be able to participate in that. But the book of Amos is where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Amos chapter 5. And, and before we read the passage of Scripture today, I want to kind of set some things up for us because Amos is one of the minor prophets. Now, minor prophet doesn't mean that his message is small. It means that his book is short. His message is significant, but his book is short. And so in our daily Bible readings, we're in Isaiah right now. We're about to be in Hosea and, and all of the minor prophets and major prophets. And so we're in that part of the Old Testament where we see an awful lot of prophecy and Prophecy is one of those topics that I think people naturally find very interesting. There's just something about a good mystery to solve, right? There's something about puzzling things out that I think we're just attracted to. Actually, when we get to the fall, in the fall this year, Pastor Chris is going to go through a series on the book of Revelation, which is also a book of prophecy in the New Testament. So coming this fall is a series on the book of Revelation, and it's always interesting to be able to figure out what prophecies are all about and what does it mean for a book to be prophetic. I always think of prophecy as future history, one of the things about uh, the scriptures that I just find so intriguing is if you read early in the book, you'll see a lot of prophecies. And when you read late in the book, you'll see a lot of prophecies fulfilled. And so it's one of the things that convinces me that, that, that I can trust this word because it comes from so many diverse sources over such a long period of time. And for someone in an age without electricity to write something way back when, and then you get towards the end of the book, and you're like, oh, wow, that just happened. Oh, look, it happened again in the story of Scripture. Just convinces me of the truth and the reality and the validity, the reliability of Scripture. And at the same time, there are some prophecies written into the Scripture that just haven't come, come true yet. They just haven't been fulfilled yet. And so I think just like the old prophecies that have already been fulfilled were future history for that time, the current prophecies that we'll read are prophecies that have yet to come true. It's just future history for another time. And so I just think that's a, a true piece of it. Now, prophecy is always funny because people are always trying to work it out. I remember when I was a teenager, um, it was just before Desert Storm, the very first Desert Storm, when we uh, had the, the, that moment in Iraq and Kuwait and Iran and, and all those things that were going on. And my pastor at the time wrote a book 
called Between Iraq and a Hard Place (laughs) was the name of the book that he wrote. And he tried to take scriptural prophecy and tie it to to, uh, events of today. He tried to do that. And I'll never forget when I was a teenager in 1988, somebody wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. That, that was the book that he wrote. Um, the sequel was in 1989, which was awesome, when he wrote 89 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1989. And I'm like, I don't think you got it right the first time, dude. And then in 1990, it was like 90 more reasons why Christ will return. In 1990, he's like, hey, you've got this whole little cottage industry built up on numbers. How about 92 reasons why you're wrong? <laughs> um, I'll just write that one out next. And so trying to figure out prophecy is interesting. When I say prophecy, I mean future history, the mystery of it, and things like that. But there's also a pattern to every prophecy. And we're going to see today that looking to the future is important, trying to figure out the future. That's all important. But there's so much more value in living faithfully today. And that's really what biblical prophecy challenges us to do. All biblical prophecy, the part that's already been fulfilled and the part that's yet to be fulfilled, the fun part that's the mystery to solve, and the fun part that you look back and you go, see, it just says says it right here, then it happened right here, and this is another reason why this book is true. All of those prophecies really point to really one simple idea, and it's not figuring out tomorrow as much as it is hope and faithfulness right now today. We, we see that over and over again in prophecy. So there's a pattern to prophecy when you look at Scripture. It doesn't matter where you're looking in the prophecy. Um, there's this pattern that happens in prophecy, and it's, uh, it's easy to see when you start looking at it. God makes a covenant in His sovereignty. He makes a covenant with people. And then people, like me and you, being the frail people that we are, at some level, we choose to break the covenant. And after we break the covenant, God sends someone to remind us, hey, there was this covenant, and, and that person is a prophet. Hey, there was, you made a promise. They, God made a promise. God's going to keep his end of the promise, but you've broken your end of the promise. And you remember, things go well when everybody keeps their promises, and things fall apart and get really ugly when people don't keep their promises. So the prophet would remind them of the judgment and the mercy of God. Prophet would always do that. So God makes a promise, a covenant. We break the, the promise, our part of the deal. The prophet comes along to remind us of the judgment and the mercy of God. Hey, you need to repent and get back to keeping your promise. That's where God's mercy falls. If you don't, judgment is coming. It's, it's kind of the, the, the nature of that. And then there's something that happens to the prophet. Sometimes the prophet is heard and people repent. Sometimes the prophet is ignored. Sometimes the prophet is martyred frequently the prophet will think he's all by himself. I'm just all alone. And God will comfort the prophet and remind him, I'm raising up a remnant of faithful people. You're not alone. So keep speaking the truth because you're not alone. And when my day comes, it will be the place where judgment and mercy meet. And for those who have followed in the ways, for that remnant, for those who have repented, my mercy will flow. And for those who have not, my justice and my judgment will be satisfied. And that's the pattern of every prophecy I see in Scripture. Now, as you read prophecy and as you read the Bible, as you read Amos, one of the things to, one of the temptations, really, that we have as we read is to read it and immediately think, 
this is me. God's talking. He's not talking about Israel. He's talking about the United States of America. You know, it's easy for us to read Scripture and automatically read it through the lens of who we are rather than through the lens of what's really happening and what, what God has said. Now, I'll say that I am I'm so proud of who we are as a nation. I'm so thankful for who we are as a nation. We have the privilege of living in the most prosperous nation, in the most prosperous generation in the history of the world. And it's because there are some significant men and women who have placed their lives and their livelihoods on the line for certain inalienable rights and for certain freedoms, and they have, they've been willing to sacrifice in ways that are extraordinary and in some ways very ordinary. And the end result is we get to have a moment like this on a Sunday, and I'm just so thankful for this. And there are ways when I look into prophecy, there are times when I look at it and I go, oh, he must be talking about America. And then there are times when I look at it and I go, oh, clearly he's talking about me. This is the part with all the good guys where this, you know, this is the superhero moment where they knock down giants and they do big things. And this is, he must be talking about me in this moment. And then there's always the bad people. Oh, the bad people, judgment and justice is coming. And I'm like, go get him, God, because he must be talking about everybody else in that moment. And while it's appropriate for us to look to Scripture and read what happened, We need to understand that in this moment, Amos is about the children of Israel. Amos and what God said and spoke through Amos is to Amos and about Amos. And so today, I'm not Amos. I'm a preacher of God's Word. I'm a follower of Christ. Um, You are not the children of Israel. The nation of America is not the children. we're, We're not the children of Israel. We're not that. There are some things, however, as we look at this passage of Scripture, that while we're not Amos, we're not King David, we're not Paul, we're not Timothy, we're not Israel, while we're all these things that we're not, there are absolutely some experiences they had and some words that God spoke to them that are relevant to us today. And it would be in our best interest for us to pay close attention and to recognize that God's pattern for prophecy hasn't changed. God's made a covenant with His people to say, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And, and we as humanity and our frailty, we've broken our part of the deal. We've broken our promise. And God, through His Word, is reminding us that a day is coming when judgment and mercy will meet. And in that day, will you be one who stands on the side of those who have the gift of repentance or will you be standing on the side of those on whom Christ will, or God will satisfy His justice? So it's relevant for us to look at prophecy and to understand it. It's relevant for us to recognize that while it may not be about us, there are some principles here that are worth understanding and trying to learn how to live and apply to our lives as we live our lives within this incredible nation that God's blessed us with. And so with that said, if you would... Look at Amos chapter 5, and let's stand together as, uh, as we read God's Word together. That's one of the things that we like to do to honor the reading of God's Word. And then as an act of worship, really it's a way to voice our praise. When we read Scripture, we like to be reminded that this isn't my Word, and it's not just the Word of some man, that this is the Word of God. And so as a voice of praise, at the end of reading it, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you'll respond, praise be to God. So Amos chapter 5 beginning in verse 18. And I'm going to tell you as we read this, this is kind of the height of the judgment part of Amos. 
Verse 18 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is, not, is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice rain down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. And you'll notice just in the language that Amos is using, this is God speaking in this passage, and the judgment that he's speaking is not pleasant. It is not a kind thing that God is saying in this moment, even though he's speaking it as an act of kindness. It's a, it's a reminder that his day is coming. Justice will be satisfied, and you need to get ready. But sometimes the things we read in Scripture, sometimes the moments we have, we just need a reminder sometimes that, that, that our way is not always the right way, and our way is frequently the wrong way, and we need to hear the voice of God in this passage that is the voice of warning and the voice of justice that needs to rain down, not simply in our nation, not simply in our world, but really in our own hearts and our own lives. And so one of the tendencies when we think about the judgment and the justice of God, one of our habits is to automatically do one of two things we either automatically assume that somebody else is the bad guy and we're the good guy. So either this is all about someone. So as I read this, let justice rain down. We're thinking in our hearts, that's right, God, get them. Let justice rain down. Or instead of thinking about it's us, me individually versus some other bad individual, we think about it corporately. Oh, my people are right, and all the people who aren't my people are wrong. So again, justice rain down. God, get them. But in the context of Amos, Amos is saying, no, 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 wait. I'm talking about you. So don't take what we say today and push it off on someone else. You know what? So-and-so needs to hear this. I wish so-and-so were here today. I got to get the link to this message so I can share it on social media. I got to get the link to this message so I can share it with my friend who lives in because they got to hear this because I'm so right and they're so wrong. No, today's message isn't for somebody else. Today's message is for you. Today's message is for me. And when God speaks, it's really valuable for us to first ask the question, Okay, God, what am I supposed to do? That's the first question. It's really tempting with prophecy to assume that's about everybody else, not about me. No, not this one. This is about us. This is about me. And so when you take a look at that, one of the first things that we'll see that maybe in that passage as we read it, when you read earlier in Amos, which we've read in our daily Bible readings, what might be easier to see is that prosperity without purpose 
amplifies anxiety. That's really my, my first point, that prosperity without purpose amplifies anxiety. And let me explain that. The children of Israel, apart from the time when Solomon was the king, this generation for Israel in this passage of Scripture is the most prosperous they've ever been. There is so much prosperity and so much peace that they're experiencing as a nation Everything feels good in the nation of Israel. Thing, things are going well for them. They've got enemies outside the nation, um, but, but those enemies are kind of at bay. There's enough peace that they've got the right love. They've got a comfortable peace, right? There's a comfortable peace. They don't think they're about to be taken over. Everything seems fine. We're good. We're fine. We're, you stay on your side of the border. I'll stay on mine. We're all good. And so there's a kind of peace, and then there's a kind of prosperity. Most everybody has what they need. Most everybody's doing well. And again, this isn't about us in terms of the history, but there's a part of this where I read it and I go, man, that kind of sounds, kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like me and you? Doesn't that sound like the nation we live in? Certainly there's difficulties to overcome. Certainly not everybody has everything, and certainly there's more. All of us could use more, right? But generally, we live in a very prosperous time, and we are a very prosperous people. And at the same time, the children of Israel had left their purpose behind. They'd forgotten their purpose. You remember what their purpose was. God makes this covenant with Abraham, and over and over again, with one covenant after another, he says, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I've chosen you as a royal priesthood. Here's what I want you to do, Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Here's what I want you to be to the world. I want you to be a nation of priests and priests to the nations. I want you to be the people who will represent who I am to the rest of the world. And when the world comes asking, who's God? I want you to show them who I am. And when the world needs God, I want you to go to them and say, God's here for you. And the nation of Israel at this time, they had forgotten their purpose. They had just left it behind. And in leaving behind their purpose, they became very inward focused. As a matter of fact, they remembered the chosen part. We are God's chosen people. But they forgot what they were chosen for. And to a large degree, it was their prosperity that got in the way. And what ended up happening was while they were a highly prosperous nation at this time, the level of corruption inside their nation was at an all-time high. And while they were prosperous, they were nervous about whether or not they would lose their wealth, whether they would lose their prosperity. They were nervous about whether or not someone from outside was going to come inside to take their stuff. They were nervous about whether or not their influence in the world would be diminished if they would no longer be one of the most influential nations in the world. They were nervous about all of those things. And so as their purpose was set aside and their prosperity increased, their anxiety was amplified over and over and over again. And so once again, I have to say, you know, he's not really talking about America. He's talking about Israel. But doesn't that feel familiar? We live in an exceptionally prosperous time, yet anxiety in our nation is at an all-time high. Corruption. All you have to do is open up Twitter. All you have to do is flip through any news channel. I don't care which news you choose. Isn't it interesting that we can choose the facts we want based on the news we want to watch? Isn't that interesting? We live in this strange generation where prosperity, in all honesty, is off the charts, but so is anxiety, and so is corruption. 
And so is fear about what outside nations are going to do to us as a nation. So is what's happening just over the border and just across the ocean. Anxiety is at an all-time high. Amos isn't technically talking to Americans. But there's a lot in this that I go, well, that feels familiar. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is one of the passages of Scripture we read this week in our daily Bible readings. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As I read this, just see if this feels familiar. But know this. This is a prophetic passage in 2 Timothy. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Prosperity without purpose, it amplifies anxiety. It also makes it possible for people to have a form of godliness and deny its power. It makes it possible for people to look good without actually being good. It makes it possible for people to feel generous without actually being generous. I mean, all you really have to do, right, right is scroll through social media, and you find a lot of people who look really good. They're doing some really fun things. They're doing some really cool things. But you dig just a little underneath the surface, and suddenly corruption is high. Suddenly anxiety is unavoidable. Suddenly I've looked good, but internally I don't know if I am good. Prosperity without purpose, it amplifies anxiety. And then the next thing to see about Amos, again, remember when God prophesies, he reminds us, I made this promise to you, and I'm going to keep my end of the promise, and you've failed your end of the promise. You're sinful, you're rebellious, you'd rather go your own way, you're haughty, you're prideful, all those things we just listed in 2 Timothy 3. And, and then God reminds us through a prophet that his justice and mercy are coming, that this day of the Lord is on its way, and it's the place where justice and mercy meet. And so Amos is the messenger for this prophecy. And what's interesting is when you go all the way back to Amos chapter 1, what you find out is that Amos isn't a professional preacher. He's not a priest. He's not a professional prophet. That's not what it does. It actually says Amos is a herdsman. Amos chapter 1, verse 1. Amos is a herdsman of Tekoa. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means he's a shepherd. But he's not a shepherd like David was a shepherd. And he's not a shepherd like the shepherds who watched the, you know, the flocks by night when we think about Luke chapter 2. He wasn't that kind of shepherd. He was a shepherd who owned his sheep. So he was a small business owner. He owned a business that was large enough that he actually, he, he was the owner of the sheep. He wasn't watching someone else's sheep. He was watching his own sheep. But he wasn't so successful as a business owner that he could hire a bunch of other people to just wash his sheep. So he's just an ordinary guy. He's just a small business guy. Living life in his community. Looking around going, this is broken. And I'm I'm broken over how broken my nation is. And God moves through him to speak to his people. Remember I said he was a shepherd and the sheep were his? As a shepherd whose sheep were his, he was guiding 
and guarding the sheep that were his own. And in this moment, he speaks prophecy to the children of Israel. He's not, he's not trying to correct everyone. He's trying to deliver the message God gave to him for his people. He's guiding and guarding the sheep that were his own. But that would be my second point. That's really important. God speaks through people like you. God speaks through people like you. That's not just a preaching point. That's not just a preacher up here trying to motivate you to get up off that thing and do something. That's not what this is. This is actually Scripture revealing that tomorrow you're going to get up and go to work. And you're a believer in Christ and a carrier of His grace. And you have an opportunity to speak the truth in love to everyone God places in your circle as you go to work to guide and guard the sheep that are yours. Because you know what? I can't step into your workplace. I can't do it. Neither can Chris. I might be able to get to meet some of the people that you're with every day of the week. I might be able to get to meet them every now and then. But if it's fully dependent on me as a preacher or Chris as a preacher to be the deliverer of God's grace to everyone in every circle that you walk in, it's just not going to happen. Not because we don't want to, not because we're lazy, but because God put you there. You may get a paycheck signed by the business you work for, but you are employed by God to be an instrument of His grace and His purpose in your workplace. And as the coach of that little league team and in those community groups that you're a part of, like maybe the Chamber of Commerce or the Character Council or the Kiwanis or whatever clubs you might be a part of, you're, you're a part of, he puts you there. You're there to fulfill your ministry. You know, when a guy like me stands up on a pulpit like this to talk about serving, the first place our mind goes to is a natural place, and it's a good place because there's lots of great ways to serve in the life of our church to fulfill your ministry in the life of our church. You could play on the worship arts team. You could be in kids ministry or student ministry. You could serve at the mission center. That's noble. That's, that's really incredible. We've got an incredible online ministry that's reaching a lot of people. And for those of you who are watching online, I'm so thankful that you're here. It's great to see you. And I'm glad you're a part of what's going on. You could serve in that. They need more camera operators. They need more people involved in that. There's lots of places to serve. But today, when I talk about your ministry as you serve and as you fulfill your ministry, do you know? Do you know what your ministry is in your workplace? To your employer, to your employees, to your customers, to the people you see every day? If you're in the home every day, how do you minister to your family and your extended family? If you're a teacher in a public school, how can you be an instrument of God's grace to your students and to other teachers and to other faculty and other staff? How can you do that? Look at 2 Timothy again. This is just a, the next part of 2 Timothy. Again, we read this this week, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you. This is right after that prophecy part of 2 Timothy, that the day of the Lord's coming. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers 
They will choose to watch CNN or Fox News. Wait, that's not in there. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, while they do that, but you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy 4, 5. Do you know what your ministry is? Sure, I would love for you to serve here in the life of our church. Do you know your ministry inside the church? I think that's awesome. Do you know your ministry in our community? Do you know your ministry in your workplace, in your family, with your friends? God called Amos, a guy just like you, to speak the truth to his people. And here's what I find fascinating. The professional preachers of Amos, of Amos's time, they were offended because he was saying things that were the exact opposite of the professional preachers. Amaziah was the priest at, at Bethel. He was the priest at Bethel, and he actually called for the king to have Amos killed for the words that he said. There's going to be some pushback when you start speaking grace and truth and justice to people around you. When you start sharing the gospel, there's going to be some pushback. And sometimes it's going to come from some unlikely places. Here's what I find interesting about the city of Bethel. Bethel, the word Bethel means abiding place of God. And it's about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's in the northern kingdom and Jerusalem's in the southern kingdom. And in generations past in this particular story, the king of the northern kingdom decided, if my people are going to worship God, they're going to have to go to Jerusalem to do it. That means they're going to leave the northern kingdom to go to the southern kingdom to do that. And if they do that, they might like the southern kingdom more. We can't have that. So he established Bethel, the abiding place of God, as another place for worship. And then there was Ai that was established as a place for worship. And then there was all these other high places that were set up. And you know what? It wasn't long before people in Israel and people in the northern and southern kingdom, it just wasn't long before they were going to places to worship but the object of their worship wasn't God. They were worshiping the false gods that they worshiped when they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. They were worshiping the false gods of the Babylonians. They were worshiping the false gods of the Egyptians. And they walked into, they walked into these spaces and places of worship, including Jerusalem, feeling like they were having this deep, godly, spiritual moment when they weren't connecting with God at all. As a matter of fact, they were just being offensive in every possible way to God because the object of their worship wasn't God. The object of their worship was either a false God or it was themselves. And look at God's reaction. This is so convicting and at the same time condemning. This is God talking. Verse 21, Amos chapter 5, verse 21. God says, I hate. What's it take for the God of love to say, I hate? And then he doesn't just stop there. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments." Have you ever stopped to consider that the thing that you think of as sacrifice 
God might think of as offensive? Have you ever considered that? That it's possible for you to walk into a moment that you call worship and God says, I hate, I despise your sacred assemblies. I can remember this time when I was a little kid and my, I made my dad mad. And you know, you've seen your dad do this before. He's mad and he's just, and he wants to yell at you and he is yelling at you, but he really, what he really wants to do is he really wants to cuss at you and he's trying so hard not to cuss at you that he kind of shakes a little bit and all my, suddenly he sounds like he's just inarticulate because he doesn't have any words to use because you're six and you can't do that to a six-year-old. And so he's like, that's a silly way to say it, but man, God says, I hate. How many times does God repeat himself in Scripture like that? I think he's serious. I hate. I despise your sacred assemblies. Why? I think it's, there's a natural tendency. And I know this is normal. This is natural. We like what we like, and we want to talk about what we like. And then we don't like what we don't like, and we want to talk about what we don't like. And so it's just natural, right, for us to walk out of a worship service like this and look to a friend or a family member and just go, yeah, I just didn't like worship today. It did nothing for me. I just, I didn't like that. I just didn't like worship today. And in my heart, if I hear somebody say that, I have this tendency to go, that's okay. We weren't here to worship you. <laughs> and that's snide, and I, I, I shouldn't think like that, but, but it's true. <laughs> We're not here to worship you. And I had a friend at Hera who used to, I was a music minister in Hera, and when I, when I sang the songs that were his songs, He'd come to me after the service. He said, oh, Chad, that was great. I had the doodads up and down my neck the whole time. I just, I love it when I get the doodads during worship. <laughs> and I'm like, well, don't we all? I don't know if doodads are contagious. I'm not sure I want to get them from you. But, um, but you've had that moment, right, when the music or the message or the moment was just so inspirational, you, you just get chills. You just walk out. And I love that moment. It's just so good. You know you can get that without worshiping God? You know that can be false? You can feel good without being good. You can look good without doing good. You can feel generous without being generous. And the children of Israel stepped into moments of worship, and they made things that they called sacrifices. I mean, think about what a sacrifice is. That's not just giving. That's giving more than you think you can afford, right? That's a sacrifice. They gave sacrifices. They called it a sacrifice. And God called it offensive. So I, I hope we have good, great, inspirational, emotional moments in our worship. But if you catch yourself constantly stepping out of worship and being hypercritical of what took place in that worship service, if you, if you find yourself constantly looking towards what makes me feel good in worship versus what connects the truth of the gospel with people in our community in worship and what causes God to be celebrated and honored and causes us to fall down and obey Him more and, and repent more and to follow Him more, and to be faithful and more. If, if your standard, well, let's just say it like this, if conditions must be perfect before you can worship, the object of your worship is you. And so be careful. I don't ever want God, I don't, I don't want to get God to the point that he says, I hate, I despise your sacred assemblies. And that thing you call sacrifice, I call it offensive. 
And see, here's what happens to us. And it happened to the children of Israel. It happened to Amaziah, who was the priest at Bethel, who was who is constantly attacking Amos. And Amos is just some guy preaching the word and just trying to do his best to live according to the way God told him to live and say the things God told him to say. But here's what happens. Sometimes we end up seeking the day of the Lord more than we seek the way of the Lord. And so that would be, I'm going to reverse it a little bit. That's my point. We should be the people who seek the way of the Lord more than the day of the Lord. And here's the reason why. We seek the day of the Lord primarily because we think that's when all those bad people are going to get theirs. Come on, God, show up. Show them how right I am. Isn't that ultimately what that comes out as? I want the day of the Lord to come because that's when justice will fall on all those other bad people. And we never really suspect that the day of the Lord is about the judgment and the mercy of God coming together. And he's called you. That's our purpose, right? To be an instrument of his mercy. To be an instrument of his grace. To be a deliverer of that message that God is for us. He's with us and his desire is to to forgive. He wants to give us that gift of repentance. If only we'll pay attention. Look at this, this last passage in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. It's Paul talking, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day. And not to me only, but also to those who have loved his appearing. It's so easy to think that they're bad and I'm good. It's so easy to read this book and think the day of the Lord is about the bad people getting theirs and me and we, the good people, getting, what, getting ours. And I think that's why we need to focus on the way of the Lord more than the day of the Lord. Amos chapter 5, just real quick, uh, verse 4 says, seek the Lord. And verse 6 says, seek the Lord. And verse 14 says, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Remember I said when God repeats himself, we ought to pay attention. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord, he says. Verse 4, verse 6, verse 14, seek good and not evil. We should seek the way of the Lord more then we seek the day of the Lord because today is the day to be faithful to who God called us to be. There's something that takes place in the life of our community that I want to talk about for just a second. Um, I am so proud of our church and I'm so honored for who we are. Um, I've gotten to be here. I've just been blessed to be here for a long time. And you as a church have blessed me and my family in so many ways. And I'm so very thankful And today, I can say with honesty that our church as a church is giving more and doing more in more places than ever before. The level of generosity, the level of service, we're feeding people. You heard heard, uh, Brennan talk about the number of clients, the number of families that we're serving at the Mission Center. I don't know to rejoice over that or or to, to be challenged with that because it's people that we're helping that have some kind of legitimate physical need. We want to help everybody we can. We'd like that number to be reduced uh, just so that we can be solving some problems, right? We'd like to do that. 
And, and we share the gospel as a church, and that's a beautiful thing. I love that we're sharing the gospel. But there are times when there's a part of our heart that's revealed that causes me to go, oh, what was that? That doesn't, that doesn't feel like who, who we are. And uh, recently, Chris has talked about uh, in the next year or so, over the next year, they're building some apartments, 374 apartments, that are going to be connected to the, I think it's northwest corner of our property. It'll be right connected to our property, 374 apartments. That's going to be about 1,000 people who are right at the footsteps of our church. About 1,000 people who are within walking distance of who we are. And when I've told people that, you know what the number one question I've gotten is? It just is so contrary to who I think we are as a people, but maybe it is who we are. The number one question I've gotten is, yeah, but isn't it going to be low-income apartments? No, but I'm not sure how that's relevant. You know what the second question is? Oh, my goodness. What is that going to do to all the traffic around here? Traffic's already bad. What is that? I'm going to, that's the subtle implication is I'm going to be so inconvenienced by that. First two, top two questions that I get about a thousand people at the doorsteps of our church have nothing to do with God's brought people to our community. And he's given us a purpose of sharing the gospel and the good news and the love of Christ and the grace of Jesus with people. And they're right there at the doorposts of our church. And we're a little worried about their economy and their car. I think we should seek the way of the Lord more than the day of the Lord. And it concerns me a little bit because we are a gospel-sharing church and you do it so very well. But I wonder if we share the gospel just a little bit like this. We love you. We want you to know Jesus over there. And we've forgotten that there's a next step, right? Once someone places their faith in Christ, they need to be raised up in that faith. That's discipleship. And that's not an over there practice. That's a right here practice. That's us living together. That's us knowing one another. That's us becoming lasting friends, building lasting friendships, and figuring out how to work out these differences and work out these, just the crazy decisions and choices that we make that affect one another and the inconveniences that come with people because I can be really inconvenient to y'all and thank you for your grace. But that's the fun of discipleship. That's the excitement of what's possible when we fulfill our purpose as a church to look at people and not just say, I love you, here's something to eat. I love you, here's the gospel, I'm glad you're saved. But to say, I love you, and all those other things are true. Now come, let's be family together. Let's be raised up as disciples together. Let's be sent out as missionaries together. Let's find new ways to minister and reach out to people all over this community, Tulsa, Owasso, Green Country, and beyond. Let's find new ways, fresh ways to do that very thing. Share the gospel, raise up disciples, send out missionaries, and help people. Let's do that. And so it just causes me to pause. 
when the first two questions I get about God bringing people to our front door are that. And so today, I'd just like to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. We're going to have a moment to just kind of reflect and respond. And members of our prayer team are going to be all over this room. And maybe, and you can, you guys, if you're part of that prayer team, you can move there now. But maybe you need to pray with someone. And maybe you need to confess. And maybe you need to repent. And all of us, maybe we just need to check our heart and just ask God, hey, God, have I missed my purpose? Do I know my calling? Am I following your ways? What about these people God's bringing to our community? Am I willing to bring them to you? Maybe we just need to take some moment as Joe sings to reflect and check our hearts in that manner and then to remember that ultimately the day of the Lord is the place where his justice and his mercy meet. And that happened on the cross at Calvary when Jesus took the punishment for my sin and gave me the grace of giving me his righteousness. And he can do that for you too. And if you have yet to place your faith in Christ, you need his grace and mercy. And it all happened right there on the cross. So would you trust in him for the forgiveness of sins? Would you place your faith in him? Would you walk with him today? If you want to know more about that, these people who are standing here willing to pray with you, they'd love to tell you more about that. People in the foyer at the guest center, they would love to tell you more. There's probably someone sitting right next to you that would love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus. So today, place your faith in him. And for the rest of us, let's check our heart and just ask God, how can I follow in your ways today? Father, we love you. We pray that you would move in us and through us, that you would do something that can't possibly be explained because of us in our lives and that we would see people that you would give us the opportunity to share your gospel in our workplace and in our community, that you would allow us the privilege of seeing people come to faith, and then we would walk together so that we would all be raised up as your disciples. Help us to be open to everyone you bring here. Help us to go and get people to be a part of who you are. And so, Father, we love you. We ask you to forgive us and to help us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's respond to him as we sing.